Wilder Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you have been with us the last number of weeks, you know that this Christmas season we've been in a series called Joy to the World. As we've been talking about the joy, the exceeding joy, the lasting joy that comes on the other side of Jesus' arrival in Bethlehem and the significance of all of that to you and me. Today we're going to continue that series and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. But before we, we open and look at those verses together, I want to just ask you a question. This question is probably going to remind you a little bit of a bummer for some of you, okay? So just know that in advance. That's your bummer watch or warning about what is coming. But what I'm going to ask you is this. How many of you, is there something you want for Christmas that you're expecting not to get? How many of you, there's something that you want for Christmas that you're expecting not to get? Now, oftentimes, the things that we expect not to get are not because no one loves us. It's because our desires outstrip our budget. You may want a Lexus December to remember, but you might get a Matchbox car instead, right? Uh, I, I may want a new deck on the backside of my house. I may get a sweater, right? So, so this is what happens, and it's not because no one loves us. It's just because our desires at time outstrip our budget. Now, I say that, that's the bummer. Now, let me give you the good news. The good news is the thing that we most desire in life, the thing that we most need in eternity, is actually made available to each of us free of charge. And that is the reconciliation of us with the God who created us, a relationship with him that goes on forever and ever, that's not purchased on the other side of our good works, but was given as a gift of God's grace through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That gift is available to each and every one of us free of charge today. And so many of us in this room have trusted in Christ at some point in the past and have received that gift, have opened it up and are enjoying its blessing even today. And others who have not yet trusted in Christ this morning might be the time that you realize that this gift is for you as well and you can open it up by faith and experience that blessing also. That is a gift that is free and that is a gift that is available to you and to me. But though it is free, there still is a cost to coming to Christ. There's still a cost to coming to Christ. Now, Jesus spoke about this. Once in his ministry in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, he said, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Jesus understood that though the gift of salvation that he was to offer would be free of charge to us, after we trust in Christ, there is a cost that we would bear. There might be rejection from family. There might be a change in our priorities. There might be a scrambling of our life in a little way, one way or the other, that comes on the other side of following Christ. And so Jesus said that those who decide to follow him should count the cost before doing so, because there is a cost associated with it. This morning, we're going to look at this idea of the cost of following Christ. 
And we're going to do so against the backdrop of a group of people who decided that whatever cost that existed to follow Christ was absolutely a cost worth paying. And that is the Magi who came from afar to to worship Jesus. After arriving at the scene to worship Jesus, this is how they described their life. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Though following Christ involved a cost, though coming to Christ involved a cost, it also brought with it exceeding joy. And so they believed it was worth it. This morning, with the balance of our time, we're going to look at the example of the Magi as we count the cost to following Christ. But as also we are reminded that following Jesus, friends, is always, always, always worth it. So let's look at these verses together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. You've got a, a phone or something, tap your way over to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in the first 12 verses for the first portion of our time today. Matthew 2 begins this way. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now friends, in these verses today, we're going to see a couple of things that ought to encourage us today, both of the cost of following Christ, but also of the reality that it is absolutely worth it. So the first thing we're going to see is the true cost of Christmas. And we're going to see it against the example of the Magi. Now, I've used that word Magi several times, and yet the verses I just read called them wise men. So what's up? Are they wise men or are they Magi? Well, the reality is they were Magi who sometimes were called wise men. The Magi were a group of people who lived in the region of Babylon and Persia, and they spent their time studying the stars That was their job. That was what they did. That was how they made their living. And so it should not come as a surprise to us that those who were in a far off place would see a sign that appeared in the sky, a star that appeared in the sky. But the question we ought to ask is not why did they see the star, but why would they think that a star in the sky would be connected to a leader who was born in Israel? What was going on with that? Well, a couple of things we need to know. 
One of the things we need to know has to do with tradition and myth that had developed in that time. But another thing we need to know is something about history and prophecy, the the truth of the matter. As it relates to uh, the, the myth that had developed, something had happened around the time of the death of Julius Caesar. The Roman world had quite an influence at that time. And when Julius Caesar died, at the time of his funeral, a new star appeared in the sky. It actually was a comet, but this new light appeared in the sky. And the Romans took that mistakenly as a sign that Julius had become a god. And so the appearance of a new star in the sky was the sign of the arrival of a god. And so there was an expectation that was being developed and propagated around the Roman world around the time of Jesus was born about stars and leaders and gods and kings. That's the myth part. But also there was the issue of prophecy. There was the truth of the matter. You see, God had promised many, many years before Jesus was born that Jesus would be born. God had said to his people, Israel, that one day Messiah would be born and he would be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Some of the verses that Bruce opened our service with, those were promises that were given 700 years before Jesus was born. So inside of uh, the, the people of Israel, there was this expectation that Messiah would come. And then as history developed, Many people in Israel were taken away as captives to Babylon and Persia. One of them was this guy named Daniel. And Daniel, when he arrived in that area, had demonstrated an ability to interpret dreams. And so Nebuchadnezzar made him in charge of a particular group of people. You know who they were? Daniel chapter 2 verse 48 tells us that Daniel became in charge of the Magi. So a few hundred years before Jesus was born, the leader of the Magi was this little Jewish boy who had grown to some prominence in the exiled land and had no doubt told them about the prophecies about the coming of Messiah. Something else you need to know is that Daniel not only knew that Messiah would come, but God had given Daniel some understanding about when Messiah would come. And Daniel spoke in his prophecy about the era in which Messiah would be born right down to the years that would be the time when Jesus was born. So when you look at the the world at that time, there had grown an expectation that there would be a leader, a king of kings, a lord of lords, who would be born in Israel around the time that Jesus was born. Now, friends, that's not just me putting lipstick on a pig. That is something that is attested to by Roman secular historians. Look at a couple of folks who wrote in the era right after Jesus' life, but wrote biographies and histories about the era in which Jesus was born into. Suetonius, a Roman historian, said this, There had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time, at the time of year zero, at the time of Jesus' birth, for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Tacitus, another historian, said this, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. Friends, there was an expectation that someone would rise out of Judea and would become the king of kings. And that expectation was not something just in Israel, 
but it was something that had propagated throughout the world at that time. So that when a new star appears in the sky, those looking at the stars saw it and they associated it with the birth of this king that Daniel had talked about hundreds of years before. And so these magi pack up and they go. They make the journey. Now, as they make this journey, they, they, they go to Jerusalem. Well, why do they go to Jerusalem? Well, sometimes we think that the star was just like leading them like right in front of them, like they wanted to grab it like a firefly and it just kept moving. Uh, we don't get that sense. The sense that we get is that the new star appeared in the sky and they began moving towards Israel based on this expectation. Now, later on, that star will appear again in a leading fashion to take them from Jerusalem specifically to the place where Jesus was. But when they began moving west from Persia to Jerusalem, they headed and arrived in Jerusalem because that was where the capital was. Their expectation was it was being the capital where the king would be located. And so they showed up. Now, Upon their arrival and with their response, we see some of the cost of Christmas. We see some of the costs that show up. So what are some of the costs of Christmas that the Magi revealed to us? Well, one of the costs of Christmas is the cost of time. The Magi had to invest a significant amount of time in order to come and to worship Jesus. Now, we know that because of their place of origin, that they were from that region of Persia. And that was a significant distance from Israel. If we look at the distance from Tehran to Jerusalem today, it's about 1,250 miles. Now, for us, that might be a few hours flight. But in their day, that was an awful long walk or riding a camel. Anybody here ever ridden a camel? Riding from here to the back of the room is a long camel ride. Riding from Tehran to Jerusalem is an extremely long ride. They had to invest a significant amount of time. How much time? Well, a long time. Maybe a half a year, maybe a year, maybe longer. We know from the timetable that they give to Herod and Herod's response in verses we didn't look at, Herod ultimately says, I want to kill every male child in Bethlehem under the age of two to make sure that we wipe out this newborn king. That lets us know the timetable they had given him was sometime within two years. So somewhere between six months, a year, year and a half, two years, they had seen the star, made the preparations, and then made the journey. No doubt there are other things they could have done. There were other things on their calendar, but they saw this as a priority. They set that aside and they invested the cost of the time it would take to come. Not only did they invest the cost of time, but they also invested the cost of their treasure. Now, certainly the treasure would have included the resources necessary to pay for that long journey and what they would need to eat and drink and provide for their crew along the way. But I'm not necessarily talking about that part of the cost. I'm talking about the gifts that they gave. Greg very eloquently walked us through the significance and the symbolism in the gifts that they gave. But I want to hear talk about the cost of those gifts. These were not cheap gifts. These were expensive gifts. They didn't get them off the rack at a local TJ Maxx or Ross Dress for Less. These were really nice, expensive gifts that they brought at great cost to themselves. How expensive were the gifts? Well, it seems that these gifts would have been sufficient if sold to fund an escape to exile in Egypt. 
what happens right after this is that Mary and Joseph, being warned that Herod is out to get Jesus, pack up and go to Egypt. How would they have funded that trip? Last week, we talked about how Mary and Joseph were poor, poor, poor. How did they fund such a long trip? Well, they funded it through the gifts that they were given from the Magi. These gifts came at significant cost, a cost that they were willing to give, a cost that they were joyous to give. Not only did they pay the cost of their time and their treasure, though, they paid the cost of their entourage. They invested their crew. Now, how many magi were there? We we don't know. We want to say three because the song says so, and the song is always right. There were three gifts. We don't know how many magi there were, but what we do know is that when they showed up, the entire city of Jerusalem was astir. My guess is that's an indication that there were more than three showed up. Jerusalem would have been a city of hundreds of thousands of people. Three people showing up in a city of hundreds of thousands would not really move the needle all that much. But when they showed up with their extended crew from a great distance, the whole city had took notice of them. So they traveled with a great group. And so the decision of whoever it was, whichever Magi saw it, the council that got together and decided they were going to send a delegation to go, whatever had gone on in that situation, that decision ultimately impacted more than just them. Their associates, their workforce packed the bags and made the journey alongside them. That decision to come and to worship Christ impacted more than just them. It was a cost they were willing to pay. But not only did they pay the cost of their time and their treasure and their entourage, but also they paid the cost of their security. Now, certainly making a long journey over many months would have dealt with it some, some, own, it, some of its own challenges and security risks. But again, I'm not talking about those security risks. I'm talking about the security risks that came to them as they entered Jerusalem and went up to Herod's house and knocked on his door, Herod the king, mind you, and said, hey, Herod the king, we came here to meet the new king. Now, when we read that, sometimes we can think, well, Herod was probably just like this jolly old St. Nicholas. He was just happy to see him. He invited him in for tea and cupcakes, and that's just the way that Herod rolled. That's not who Herod was. Herod was a ruthless man. Nobody got in Herod's way. If Herod sensed any kind of lack of allegiance from even his own family, he would kill them. And so these folks show up, they knock on the door, and they say, Hey, Herod, we know your title is king, but we're ready for the next one. Where is he? Well, that put their lives at risk. And then Herod says, I'm going to play these guys. Hey, y'all be my my little force and go out and find where Jesus is. Come tell me where he is, and then I'm going to go kill him. And the Magi did not listen to that. Therefore, the Magi would spend the rest of their lives as marked men in Herod's world. They waged a, a cost of their security. See, friends, the Magi saw the cost of Christmas, and they were willing pay it. The question I want to ask us today is, what is our cost in following Christ? Now, we can take this in a lot of different directions. This morning, I want us just to think along the example of the Magi, what are some of our costs? You know, following Christ, our salvation is fully paid for by what Jesus did on the cross. But when we respond in faith and follow him, it will have an impact on our time. Our calendar will look a little different. 
We'll prioritize things like gathering together at 9.45 on a Sunday morning in a room like this. We'll prioritize things like setting aside a Tuesday afternoon to sort gifts for Mission Norman Christmas Shop. We'll prioritize things with our time like spending our summer vacation or our spring break to go on a mission trip to proclaim the gospel in another country. And we think about some of the costs, and those are just a few. I could go on and on, but following Jesus does impact our calendars. Not only that, but following Jesus does impact our treasure. If we had no relationship with the Lord, we would have the perspective that all of the resources in our pocket were ours. Everything in our bank account is ours for us to do with it whatever we want. But when we come into a relationship with Christ, we realize that he is the sovereign over all, that he is the one who has blessed us with whatever we have, and that we are mere stewards of the resources he's entrusted to us. So following Christ ultimately involves a cost of us being generous with the resources he has given to us as we give to our church, as we give to mission work around the world, as we give to provide care for those inside of our community. See, there's a cost associated with this. There's a cost associated with our entourage, those in, in our company to, when we follow Christ. You know, we, we follow Christ and suddenly there's an impact on those that we know. We might find ourselves a little bit at odds with somebody at the Christmas table because of a difference in worldview based on our understanding of following Christ. And us being connected to him might have a little bit of a, of, of a, of a burr in the saddle of our family or with a group of friends. Is there a cost with our security? Now, sometimes we lose sight of this, but... In 2021, the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry in good old Bartlesville, Oklahoma, um, has determined that there are 70 countries in the world today that are in what they call the red zone, meaning where there is a significant persecution, organized persecution of their faith in Christ. That's, that's normal for believers in the world even today. And we think even about the world in which we live, we, there's a growing opposition to the things of Christ in our world today. And even though our country may not be in the red zone, you may have experienced some persecution or opposition because of your faith in him. See, there's a cost to following Christ. But here's what's interesting. The Magi, seeing that cost, were willing to pay it. They were willing to joyously pay it. They came. They gave. They brought their friends. They did not care about their personal security to a level of you know, staying away from the person of Christ. And because they, they came without a budget, without a constraint, they experienced this exceeding joy of knowing Christ. Now, their example is in great contrast to the example of the religious leaders of the day. We were ahead earlier in Matthew 2. The religious leaders are in Jerusalem. When the Magi show up, Herod says, hey, religious leaders, there's some Magi out here who said that the king was just born. Now, could you tell me where the king was born? And the Magi said, absolutely, we can tell you. He's going to be born right down the road, five miles away in Bethlehem. That's where he is. They got the right answer. But though they had the right answer, they were not willing to risk their security to go check it out. 
They were not willing to risk their own treasure to go check it out. They weren't willing to to risk any of those things. They had this budget. They had information, but they were not willing to act upon it. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of this, says this. He says, these scribes knew where to find the text about the Savior's birth, and they could put their finger upon the spot in the map where he should be born. And yet they knew not the king, neither cared to seek him out. May it never be my case to be a master of scriptural geography, prophecy, and theology, and yet to miss him of whom the scripture speaks. See, friends, we're familiar with the story. I might not have said anything that you are not aware of or heard before. And yet we still might respond with a budget saying, Jesus, I know you're God. I know you died for me, but I will only give you this portion of my life. I'm not willing to risk anything else. I'm going to budget my connection to you. The Magi didn't do that. And if we desire the joy of the Magi, we should not do that either. They had an exceeding joy. And if we come to Christ, we can have an exceeding joy as well. So are we willing to pay the cost of following Jesus? That's really the first question we need to think about. But while we're pondering the answer to that question, we need to go ahead and answer with a general axiom that is absolutely true. You know what that is? Jesus is worth whatever the cost. Jesus is worth whatever the cost. If we were to bring the Magi in and to ask them, hey, Magi, was it worth it for you to clear your calendar and make that long journey? Was it worth it to you to to buy those expensive gifts? Was it worth it for you to be a marked man in Herod's kingdom? Was it worth it for you to gather your entourage together and take them that great distance? I am confident, friends, they would look at us and say, absolutely, it was worth it, it was worth it, it was worth it. It is always worth it to follow Christ. And that's the the, the arc of the story. That's the emotion that comes out of their declarations of joy. But we might be asking the question, well, that may be true of Magi that lived a couple thousand years ago. What about us? Is it really and truly worth it for us? Well, Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 13 that I just love. Jesus tells this story in Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has, and he buys that field. Jesus tells this parable to drive home the point that being connected to him, that following him is worth it no matter what the cost. And the example he gives is of somebody that goes out to buy a field and they walk out and they see this field and you can imagine the stories he's telling it. It'd be like somebody in our day walking out and finding a, an acre of land and in the middle of that acre of land, they find a chest that has billions and billions of dollars inside of it. I don't know, maybe it's Bitcoin, it's 2021, whatever you want to imagine. There's a lot of money in something in the middle. I don't even know what Bitcoin is. In the middle of... In the middle of that field, there is, there is something that is worth billions and billions of dollars. Now, imagine the person that found it. You know, they cover it up. And they go back and they look in their bank account and they check all of their assets and they have tens and hundreds of dollars. And then they come to you as their trusted financial advisor. They say, is it worth it for me to give up my tens and hundreds to buy a field that is worth billions and billions? Even if it meant giving all of my tens and hundreds, how would you advise them? 
You'd say, absolutely. Or, or you'd be really selfish and say, no, no, it's not worth it. And then you'd go buy it. Right? It is absolutely worth it for us to give our tens and hundreds to receive billions and billions. Friends, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, in comparison, everything that we hang on to is the tens and the hundreds. What he offers is the billions and the billions. Jesus is worth whatever the cost. Think about it in in light of this. What what are we hanging on to? We're hanging on to something with our time. We're saying, I don't really want to get serious about following Jesus because there's something I really like to do, and it involves my weekends, or it involves the time when when Bible study would normally happen, or it involves... um, something that would be if I went and served in a certain way. I'm not willing to give up this, this hobby that I have, this thing that I do, because it would impact my calendar in other ways. When we make those trades, we are hanging on to the tens and the hundreds instead of receiving the billions and the billions. Think about with our treasure. We hang on to our money. We think, I don't want to give this up. I need this because there are things I want. And yet the reality is, on the other side of generosity, we're receiving billions and billions instead of hanging on to our tens and our hundreds. You know, most of the things we buy, they begin to depreciate in value, even in our own eyes. But when we invest in the kingdom of God, we invest in missions going to the other side of the world, we'll never be sad for that investment. We hang on to our entourage. We think, you know what? I don't, wanna, I don't want there to be any discomfort in my relationship with others, so I'm going to conceal my relationship with Christ with them so that things can be peaceful with them. But the reality is when we hang on to that, we're hanging on to our tens and our hundreds instead of the billions of the riches of God impacting their lives, they finding a Savior, having their lives transformed by His grace. We hang on to our security. I don't want anybody to know that I follow Jesus because it might impact my workplace. It might impact my, my, my friend group or whatever. It might lead to some kind of formalized persecution. So I'm going to hang on to my faith. I'm going to keep it concealed. But the reality is, friends, think about the open-handedness. When we trust Christ with our lives, we receive an eternal reward. I would far rather have an eternal reward in a momentary challenge than a momentary reward and an eternal challenge. Friends, it is always, always, always worth it to follow Jesus. And so, how will we respond? How will we respond? Well, there's two ways that I want us to consider our response today in light of these verses, in light of this understanding. The first one has to do with those who have not yet trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You may be here today and you're just checking it out. You're visiting family. You're from out of town. Uh, you've got a friend that invited you. You heard there's this great musical presentation happening at the end of the service. So you came today. We are so thankful that you're here. And it is such a, a wonderful thing for us to have together. But as you are here today, if you've never trusted in Christ, it's possible that you have not yet trusted in Christ because you're concerned about how following him might impact your time, your schedule, how it might, following him might impact your, your treasure, your pocketbook how following him might impact your network of friends or how following him might lead to some kind of difficult security situation with persecution in the future. 
Friends, if that's the case, if those are reasons why you have not yet trusted in Christ, may the example of the Magi remind you that whatever the cost, it's worth it. Our tens and hundreds are no comparison to his billions and billions. Would you trust him this morning? And the second application is for those of us who have already trusted in Christ. And yet, like the scribes who sit in the capital city, we put budgets and limits on what it looks like to follow Christ. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but I'm going to keep my resources to myself. Yes, Jesus, I'm trusting in you, but I'm going to keep my calendar to myself. Yes, Jesus, I'm trusting in you, but I'm going to keep this message to myself because I'm unsure of how it might impact my family. Yes, Jesus, I'm I'm believing in you, but I'm going to keep it to myself for fear of any repercussions that might come in the world in which we live. For those of us who are here today, I believe if you have trusted in Christ, you desire the joy of the Magi. And that joy doesn't come on the other side of a budgeted love for Christ. It comes on the other side of coming to him with an open heart and open hands and saying, whatever the cost, I will follow you. Would you trust him that way this year? Friends, when properly understood, the cost is an investment and an honor. It's not a loss. Not a loss. Whatever the cost, Jesus is worth it. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful this morning as we gather here, as we reflect on these great words in your, in your scripture. Lord, we are so thankful that you have made a way, you have lit the path for us to come into a relationship with Christ. Lord, I, I pray that we would be a people, whether that relationship is beginning right now or whether that is a relationship that began long ago, we would be a people who would come to you with open hands and open arms and declare in faith, we will follow you whatever the cost, because you are worth it. Thank you for the love that you have for us, demonstrated in Christ. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.